I don't think courts have ever been about what caused you to steal. It's like you're here, you stole, and here's, here are the consequences, here are the rules. Hi, I'm Matthew Watkins with the Center for Court Innovation, and you're listening to the New Thinking Podcast. Today I'm at the Red Hook Community Justice Center in Brooklyn. I'm with Judge Marcelita Haynes of the Los Angeles Superior Court, who's um, here today visiting the Justice Center. Judge Haynes presides over one of LA's four recently created community collaborative courts, and that's what we're going to be talking about with her today. These are courts that look for long-term solutions to the problems that can cause some defendants to uh, be appearing again and again in court. Judge Haynes, thanks for joining me today. The first question I wanted to ask you is how you see this community collaborative court fitting into the uh, problem-solving court model, and, and, and what does problem-solving mean to you? Well, what we saw in L.A. is that just a rise in homeless population and the way they were coming to court with the type of uh, crimes they were committing. Uh, clearly those that are lifestyle crimes and others that were escalating because we weren't dealing with them at an early enough stage. Also the mentally ill, uh, we just a tremendous rise within the county jail in the number of uh, mentally ill patients they have. And I'm talking about chronically and seriously mentally ill. I think they went from like Five years ago, eight or nine hundred defendants to something like to two to three thousand defendants within the system. As well as we saw that our youth getting out of foster care are they're not dumped, but there's no safety net. You're in foster care today, you're 18 tomorrow, and then it's here, here here's a little money, go take care of yourself, which then forced them being on the streets in an environment generally in the area which is the lowest economic scale of what are you going to do when you have no skills. Well, there's a drug dealer who's driving his Bentley, his Rolls, or his Ford Mustang, whatever it may be, and you've got this 18-year-old kid who everyone says is not going to do a lot of time. So that was a population we saw. And then the awareness of um, victims of human sex trafficking, always the women being arrested, and then we're putting them back on the street with a record, which helped prevent them from getting their education, from getting jobs that we needed to deal with them because as they got older, we saw more theft-related crimes. And uh, our veterans, most of the veterans programs that we had looked at had requirements of either you had to have served in active duty in terms of war, warfare of some sort, and you had to have a diagnosis of certain things to be in. Uh, The court, the DA, the public defender, um, and the police saw that we had an area that we needed to reach in all these areas and that we felt as we came together that we could create programs reach out to the community to bring in not just substance abuse treatment providers, but deal with the VA and be able to be supportive to the VA with additional community programs. Uh, Actively get the police to realize there's another way to deal with the youth as we bring them in, that we can get them education, we can get them housing. So those target groups were really the thing that kind of promoted the court, the police, the district attorney, the public defender in our county to look at what can we do to change this rising volume because we clearly cannot keep incarcerating people for two reasons. One, we don't have the finances to keep incarcerating people. Two, a lot of them don't need to be incarcerated. We need to do something else to keep. I used to see the same person like every six months, you know, give him here's 18 months state prison, eight months later you're out, you're back again with the same crime because I sat in the same courthouse for so long. I got to know families very well. I wasn't the only judge seeing that. So I think all of those things came together at a time that the public became 
aware in the state of California that we can't keep warehousing people and not provide services to treat the underlying causes. So how does the the model work then? I mean, if we take, say, the defendant that is appearing again and again in your courtroom, what's new now about this community collaborative uh, approach that's going to try to solve that uh, problem? Presiding judge of the L.A. Superior Court, uh, Carolyn Cool, decided that we had enough resources in terms of judges to put together four courts that could uh, look at that targeted group I mentioned. But in dealing with our justice partners, they decided we would focus on felonies, keeping people out of prison. So that was the first hurdle. Well, then which felonies do we focus on? Well, we don't do serious or violent felonies or what everyone knows, I think, in the country, which would fall under the three strikes laws. We don't do arson. We don't do uh, child molestation. We don't do robberies. Uh, we don't do residential burglaries. Now, there is an exception to all that the DA's office, if they've read the facts and feel that they can change the charges so they're not as serious. And so the district attorney's office is able to say, we find that to be an exception, and we feel that you have services within your court that you can deal with that person because the chances are that person is chronically homeless. And there's what we're beginning to see is mental illness seems to cut across every single area that we're dealing with. So our courts deal with the five areas of um, substance abuse addicted, uh, 18 to 25-year-old at-risk youth who are in foster care, human trafficking survivors, because I don't like calling them victims because they're surviving, the mentally ill, and veterans. And like I said, almost every case I have, even whether it's a vet, there's mental illness, homeless, there's mental illness. We all have our first human trafficking survivor uh, and there's mental illness because I didn't, I, the court didn't even understand the nature of the abuse that a human sex trafficking survivor has, so I can treat her addiction, but when we found out what was underlying the addiction, we had to get mental health services for that specific uh, condition as well as we, uh, we're learning that with our domestic violence victims who are also have criminal charges pending if she was a domestic violence victim previously we find that in that history, maybe now she's stealing, but the problem goes back to something else so that we can provide services for her. Uh, and occasionally him. We haven't crossed the him yet, but there are male victims of human, uh, not human sex trafficking. That is true, but of domestic violence also. So you're really dealing with people with more than one problem at a time often, which, right. which maybe were not uh, treated so well in the past by more conventional courts, do you think? The, I not treated well because they didn't have the resources to even interview them to know what might be causing. I don't think courts have ever been about what caused you to steal. It's like you're here, you stole, and here's, here are the consequences, here are the rules. I think part of that has not been a lack of concern, but due to volume of what the courts have to handle. And I think times have changed, the country's changed, that we're looking at Certain crimes, we know there are underlying problems. When you see someone stealing, just because it's a petty theft, if I need to read a little further, what did they steal? You know, oh, they went and stole 12 bottles of liquor. Well, you know, I, now I kind of have an idea. If they weren't having a party, which they probably weren't, that I have another issue maybe I can treat if I have the services. I think what's come along with the court's awareness is the community has become aware so that they are, there are providers that can provide services for those things. Ten years ago, I could have seen that as a problem, but not have any place to send them to deal with it. 
And now at least I have some places. We still don't have enough places because we don't have enough money going into private agencies or public agencies to provide for housing. At best, I can get someone in emergency stay in housing and hope in two months they might be able to find them permanent housing. Well, what do I do with that person for two months? Well, what we do is you come to see me every week, and I babysit you, and I encourage you so that you don't reoffend while I'm trying to get the services to you. With our mental health, sometimes it takes us three to six months to even find some place before we can release someone from custody because lack of beds, which is a lack of funding. So our next place that we really need to emphasize is with the legislature that they've got. They have the concept of us doing this, but they've got to fund the agencies, not just the court. They've got to fund the agencies that will provide the housing, that will provide the counseling, that will provide the drug treatment, that will provide mental health treatment. Because right, I mean, this is about alternatives to incarceration, but right now you're saying you don't all, you don't always have enough alternatives. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, I, the way L.A.'s built, the four of us are regional, so I'm in Long Beach. The city of Long Beach, I think it's very interesting listening to how Red Hook came to be. The city of Long Beach is where Red Hook might have been back in the ni- late 90s, recognizes and has a lot of resources. Some of them are specific to only people who live in Long Beach. But uh, the rest of the county is catching on. We, the uh, Board of Supervisors just created a new agency, uh, uh, it's something about uh, reentry. It's about people getting out of, in, who've been incarcerated, trying to support them when they get out without them having a new case. But they're also working with us in terms of getting grants and funding for housing, for education, for dr- drug rehab. But the court is limited. I can't go out and fundraise. All I can do is hopefully go out to agencies, make people in the public aware that we're here. We, we want to help and we need help from the community side. Yeah, I mean, and on the community side, I mean, we're here today, as you just mentioned, at the Red Hook Community Justice Center, which is a community court and a community center very much embedded in its community. Uh, But it sounds like with these collaborative courts in L.A. that you're really trying to take this problem-solving model to scale. You're dealing with a much larger uh, population. Yes. And I'm wondering what are some of the challenges or maybe even opportunities with taking this kind of model to scale like that. Right now, I think it, for the we all four of us got started up and running November of 2015, um, and it's become. I, I think all of us found there's an education, there's a lack of education. First of all, letting our judicial officers know that we're there because we're planning a, a webinar. In fact, in February for the entire county to explain. Because judges ask me, well, what do you do? What kind of cases do you take? We've been around a year, and I'm talking about people I work with in the building <laughs> don't know what I do, and I've explained it more than once, so that we can take time to really explain it to them. What kind of cases do we take? Uh, what kind of work do we do? And then they want to know, if I send you a case, do you really have the resources, or is this just something that looks good? To let them know, to educate them that we do have the resources, limited as they may be, but we do have the resources when we say that we want the homeless and we're going to connect them with housing. We do have those connections and we do have the support. The other part I found is not just educating the judges, it's educating the defense bar in what we do that we're there. But also, yes, your client can get out of jail in five days, but he or she's going to be back in a month. And if they take probation, yes, it sounds onerous, but it really isn't. You're going to see the same probation officer, the same judge, 
And we are a family that if I need to see that person once a week to be supportive, I can do that. That way I'm seeing them not with a new case, but I'm encouraging them or if they've slipped, I can say, hey, you know, I'm a little disappointed in you. What can we do to help you not slip? And changing that whole thought process from the defense bar, then of course you have the prosecution has to change the concept of everybody goes to jail, once in prison, always in prison is the offer. Uh, and then the defendants. What's easier to take, you know, time served and get out because you're a drug addict and you just want to get out? It's harder to say, you know what? I'm going to go on probation supervision for three to five years. I'm going to be monitored. I'm willing and I'm ready. So there, it's educa- I think where we're at is educating in all those areas as well as letting the community know that we are there and if you have loved ones in the system, make sure their attorney knows that you can go to Long Beach Department, you know, South 12, and maybe you can get your case there and maybe we can help you. I tell all of my defendants I'm here from 9 to 12 and 1.30 to 4.30 because that's the court's hours. You want to stop by and say hi, you can say hi. If that's what it takes to be supportive, to let them know we're a family here. Your family previously may have disappointed you, but your court family will never disappoint you. Either you can see the judge, we'll find your attorney, or you can talk to a probation officer. Whatever you need, what do you need, we're here to provide what you need. Did you think in those terms of the court as a family, of, I mean, prior to starting this work on the collaborative courts? You know what, I've talked to defense attorneys about that, and they said I've probably for the last 24 years I've had a component of that kind of in the work I did. Uh, but when you're doing someone who's, you know, raped their six-year-old child for months, there's not a lot of, lot of family. But when we were, the drug war on drugs was at its height, I did have that feeling of certain people, but I didn't have enough, um, I had judicial support, but I didn't have resource support to be able, <clears throat> excuse me, due to the volume in the court and due to the resources outside of the court, we really didn't have it to the extent we have now. I've watched it change over the years, so I've always had a component of that. I, I think I was honored when they asked me to leave a felony trial assignment a preliminary hearing assignment, actually, to head up a court like this. Where all I did was make a difference. That's the way I see it. My goal is to make a difference in someone's life. And this new model, you feel, really helps you to do that in a way that wasn't available? I mean, I guess it's... It, it was, it, no, it wasn't available because the culture wasn't of we're, go, we're targeting and trying to help. On an individual basis, yeah, I'm sure during the year I helped some people because I've had defendants come back and thank me years later, they're drug counselors, they're still married, or whatever is going on, but not in volume. It's great if you change one life a year. I think that's fabulous. That's one, one human being that becomes productive, that is voting, that's doing what we all want adults to do. But when you have the chance to potentially, right now I have 21 people, to change 21 people in one year is a big difference in changing one. To know that if I pick up the phone right now, I can call L.A., I can text my probation officer and say, go and check on Mr. So-and-so, I've got a feeling something's going wrong. That's something I didn't have 18 months ago that I have now. Or I can call a program and say, can you tell me about, tell Mr. So-and-so I'm out of town, I'm not going to be in court this day, but tell him, don't get discouraged, I haven't abandoned them. I didn't have that 18 months ago. We There was that sense of it in the court, I'm not the only judge, a lot of judges had it 
but to have a systematic structure where you can actually do that, we didn't have. Um, Judge Haynes, thank you so much for um, speaking with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I've been speaking with Judge Marcelita Haynes of the Los Angeles Superior Court. Judge Haynes presides over one of L.A.'s four recently created community collaborative courts. You have been listening to the New Thinking Podcast from the Center for Court Innovation. I'm Matthew Watkins. Thanks for listening.